0: If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of July 3rd, 2022. The podcast that comes from Carolina with a banjo on its knee. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's trabeculate the news of the bogus. So from the start, even before Putin invaded, many people warned that NATO expansion along the Russian border would lead to war, which was the position of diplomatic experts for decades. After Putin invaded, the war hawks and their useful idiots whined that this was SUCH a CONSPIRACY THEORY. NATO wasn't going to expand into Ukraine, Finland, and other border nations. That's just a conspiracy theory! You can probably guess where this is going. Yes, the NATO annual summit has confirmed that not only is NATO expanding into Ukraine, but also Finland and Sweden as well. Finland has been a major trading partner with both Europe and Russia. Sweden doesn't border Russia directly, but trades with them indirectly via other countries. We've covered before how the whole 2014 mess in Ukraine that ultimately led to all this started because the EU wanted to trade with Ukraine exclusively and said they wouldn't tolerate Ukraine trading with Russia. Post-invasion, NATO has been putting sanctions against Russia, stopping Finland and others from trading with them. At the summit, Joe Biden said, quote, I said Putin's looking for the Finlandization of Europe. He's going to get the NATOization of Europe. Oh, right, huh? Wasn't that supposed to be a conspiracy theory? Wasn't that supposed to be Russian propaganda? Wasn't that supposed to be disinformation spread by shills for Putin? Notice that Biden is opposing the Finlandization of Europe. In other words, European countries being independent and capable of trading with whoever they like. That's for those of you who were still under the delusion that the EU was actually about free trade. This comes as Biden sends forces into Romania as part of a new American presence in the country. The Army will become even more entrenched in Poland with a permanent V Corps headquarters, an Army garrison headquarters, and a field support battalion. The Pentagon said it will also be extending its presence in the Baltic region, quote, which include armored, aviation, air defense, and Special Operations Forces. They also pledge new air defense units in Germany and Italy, and new F-35 squadrons in the UK. I'm sure the Lockheed Martin executives are happy. NATO Secretary-General Jens Stoltenberg said the addition of Finland and Sweden would greatly increase security. He's wrong, of course. It just means two more triggers for Article 5, which basically says, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. That sort of military agreement has never worked out well in the past," just asked Serbia. It also makes Finland and Sweden more vulnerable. Ever since World War II, Russia hasn't indicated the slightest bit of interest in acquiring territory in either country. Finland and Russia were on friendly terms even during the Cold War. But for decades, Russia has been absolutely crystal clear that any NATO expansion along its border would be an existential threat that it would have to respond to with force, as it did before in Georgia in 2008 and Ukraine in 2014. But while Georgia and Ukraine have ALWAYS had reasons to fear a Russian attack, Finland and Sweden don't. The expansion would mean a heavy burden on everyone in the US except the military-industrial complex. It's primarily the US that will be deploying troops and equipment if the fighting ever started. It's also a direct threat to the two countries. Previously, they would have been shielded from any fighting by their neutral status. Extend NATO membership to them, and that protection is gone. In fact, Any hostilities between Russia and NATO would immediately thrust the countries into an armed conflict even if they didn't want to be, and historically, they never wanted to be. But even if those areas aren't the direct target for fighting, the US would almost certainly use them as staging areas, which would mean Russia would be faced with attacking their airfields and ports to prevent those facilities from being used against them. It's not even clear what threat Russia even poses to them. The current fighting, limited by Russia mostly to eastern Ukraine, is only easily attackable by Russia as it lies on their border, and they have the support of ethnic Russians in the region. But Sweden doesn't even border with Russia, and not only would Russia have no support in Finland for an attack, they would lose a valuable trading partner. Whereas the US has been on record as wanting to expand NATO for decades, despite the fact that Russia is only the palest shadow of its former Soviet self. It just isn't any credible threat whatsoever to NATO. If pressed, the only real way Russia would have of fighting back against NATO countries would be the horrifying use of nuclear missiles. Really, the effect of NATO has always been at odds with the claims. The claim is that NATO member countries are made stronger by the alliance. The reality is, they're just made dependent on America. And the risks are just too great, while the benefit's next to non-existent. without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. Something else that a lot of people were screeching was a conspiracy theory was the problems of a gun registry. What happened if the database was hacked or the data was otherwise leaked? Couldn't happen, they bleated. That's just NRA propaganda. And now... It's actually happened. Just over a year ago, California moved to provide information on gun owners to educational institutions all over the country, despite objections concerning data security and privacy. The California Department of Justice made their 2022 Firearms Dashboard Portal live on Monday, full of identifying information on those who have concealed carry permits, including full name, race, home address, and date of birth as well as firearm make and model, or even precursor parts such as lower receivers, and whether the person is a judge or member of law enforcement. And it was accessible to the public. This comes right on the heels of the Supreme Court's Bruin decision, which forced California to revise their restrictive concealed carry laws as we covered last week. The total number of records released is currently unknown, but it includes 2,891 people in Los Angeles County alone, Although that may have some duplicate entries. The total size of the database has been reported at 1.78 gigabytes. And it isn't just recent gun purchasers, either. Remember that, as of 2016, ammo purchases had to be reported as well. So basically, it includes every gun owner in California. The public information had been taken down by Tuesday evening, but that's still a good 36 hours. A LONG time with regards to how many bad actors on the internet can get that data. The Office of California Attorney General Rob Bonta confirmed private information had been exposed. Quote, We are investigating an exposure of individuals' personal information connected to the DOJ Firearms Dashboard. Any unauthorized release of personal information is unacceptable. We are working swiftly to address this situation, and will provide additional information as soon as possible." I wouldn't hold your breath. This sort of thing couldn't have happened by a simple accident. At the very least, we're talking about extremely gross negligence on the part of someone at the AG's office, but really, these things have to go through multiple approvals before they go live, so mere carelessness actually seems pretty unlikely. Bonta said the reason for the Dashboard was to ensure transparency. Yeah, right. Bonta said, quote, Transparency is key to increasing public trust between law enforcement and the communities we serve. Yeah, good luck with that! The California Rifle and Pistol Association said they were looking into taking legal action, quote, Vindictive, sore-loser bureaucrats have endangered people's lives and invited conflict by illegally releasing confidential private information. CRPA is working with several legislators and sheriffs to determine the extent of the damage caused by DOJ's doxing of law-abiding gun owners. Litigation is likely. There were a lot of posts on social media from people claiming to have grabbed much if not all of the database while it was live. Some posts claimed that the database included dealers' records, including sales databases and the Assault Weapons Registry. Everyone on the database now has to worry about the very real problems of social ostracism and cancelling from gun control nut jobs, as well as their homes being targeted by criminals looking to steal the firearms, especially if they own one that is expensive or in demand. The chilling effect is very real and very well accepted. This was not only foreseeable, it was foreseen. And they did it anyway. Accident or not, The moral responsibility for any consequences rests squarely on the California DOJ. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? So now that Julian Assange is being extradited to the U.S., his trial and subsequent conviction under the Espionage Act, also known as Kangaroo Courts Are Us, seems all but certain. It was never supposed to be this way. The Espionage Act of 1917 is a relic of World War I, a very limited act that has since been extended to be so overbroad and vague that it would make any fascist dictator's mouth water. It was passed because Germany underwent a lengthy espionage and sabotage campaign against the US and other countries. They looked into practically every confidential transaction of the government, resulting in saboteurs blowing up a munitions cache in New York Harbor. The explosion woke up people across New York and New Jersey, and even damaged the Statue of Liberty. That was very much on everyone's mind in 1917 when troops were being deployed. After a controversial section calling for the censorship of war news was removed, the Act passed with little controversy. The Act is about protecting military information that was "...connected with the national defense." But at the time, there was no concept of classified material, even though that's pretty much everything the Act has been used to prosecute. The Act didn't make any specific definitions because Congress didn't feel they needed to, Everyone understood at the time what National Defense means, it meant the military and its combat needs, and also some related issues such as agriculture, which was always important during wartime. But in peacetime, it referred to almost nothing. And it never referred to stuff like diplomacy, and there was no real recognition of a need for secrecy in peacetime. Even government abuses, which happened almost immediately after the passage of the Act, had nothing to do with secrecy. They abused a section which made it illegal to, quote, "...willfully obstruct the recruiting or enlistment service of the United States, using it against people pushing for labor negotiations, protesting the military, or refusing to engage in patriotic acts." It was used in the 1930s to protect naval secrets, with one case, Gorin v. United States, reaching the Supreme Court in 1941. The court found the Espionage Act constitutional, defining national defense as, quote, referring to the military and naval establishments and the related activities of national preparedness. They didn't elaborate because, quote, "...the language employed appears sufficiently definite to apprise the public of prohibited activities and is consonant with due process." But now it's morphed into the nebulous concept of national security that is as vague as it is expansive. After 1950, the secrecy provisions became a tool to prosecute people who shared government secrets to foreign countries, even if we weren't at war with them, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg being prominent examples. But even then, it was rarely, if ever, used to punish leakers. That started in 1973, when it was used against Daniel Ellsberg for leaking the Pentagon Papers. That case was dismissed for gross prosecutorial misconduct. But Samuel Loring Morrison was convicted in 1988 oddly for revealing information about secret Soviet aircraft saying it was in the public interest. This was a big test case for the government, who wanted the act to apply to all classified information, even for purposes of legitimate journalism, regardless of whether or not the U.S. was at war. After that, the concept of national defense was completely forgotten, and the act basically referred to anything the government didn't want getting out, including information about its own bad acts. It exploded under the Obama administration, the most transparent administration in history, who prosecuted eight leakers. The Trump administration prosecuted another four. Most of these had nothing to do with the military, And, of course, there were no declarations of war by Congress, just like in the previous half-century. All of these prosecutions are now, therefore, made under an obsolete law based on a meaningless concept, and that is a recipe for a complete perversion of justice. Do you have children, or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? And now it's time to DEMULSIFY this week's Biggest emitter. And it's yet another one for the European Union in their latest attack against liberty, privacy, and cryptocurrency. The European Parliament has approved the Transfer of Funds Regulation, which requires all cryptocurrency firms to collect and hand over the personal details of everyone involved in crypto transfers, including people who transact with their customers, but may not be users themselves regardless of the size of the transaction. They claim that this is necessary to deal with illegal money laundering, which, as years of coverage on this podcast has quite clearly shown, is a total lie. In particular, they're targeting, quote, unhosted wallets. This is their new speak term for non-custodial wallets, where the keys are held by the individual and no one else. One of the biggest and oldest exchanges, Coinbase, has criticized the new law, in particular their chief legal officer, Paul Gruel who published a blog post entitled Making Your Voice Heard Ahead of Thursday's Critical EU Vote. He identified three bad facts that were the big justifications for the law. Quote, 1. Digital assets like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and others are a primary way criminals hide and move money. 2. Law enforcement has no way to track these movements. And 3. Requiring collection and verification of personal information associated with self-hosted is not a violation of their privacy. Regular listeners know how bogus this is. Criminals by far use cash to hide and move money, and when they need to do so by moving assets without moving anything physically, they primarily use art sales. We've also covered the firms that track the movements of cryptocurrency and how they're used to track down criminals such as the cyber-attackers that took down the Colonial Pipeline. And how could requiring the collection and verification of personal information be anything but a privacy violation? Gruel wrote, In short, digital assets and the immutable nature of the blockchain technology actually enhances the ability to detect and deter illicit activity. But rather than embracing and leveraging the benefits that arise from the increasing use of digital assets, the EU's proposal would cast them aside and impose a host of new privacy invasions on wallet users. It's like Backpage all over again. Something that could be beneficial to law enforcement investigators is being made the target. Quote, Among the worst of the proposed provisions are new obligations on exchanges to collect verify and report information on non-customers using self-hosted wallets. This would basically mean you cannot take money out of your bank account to send to someone else until you share personal data with your financial institution about that person and verify their identity. Not only is this verification requirement nearly impossible to do, but requiring exchanges to engage in extensive data collection Verification and retention about non-customers runs against core EU data protection principles of data minimization and proportionality." Of course, they claim absolutely nothing bad can come from this. If nothing else, just listen to the second story in this very edition. If adopted, this revision would unleash an entire surveillance regime on exchanges like Coinbase, stifle innovation, and undermine the self-hosted wallets that individuals used to securely protect their digital assets. Coinbase founder and CEO Brian Armstrong tweeted, Imagine if the EU required your bank to report you to the authorities every time you paid your rent, merely because the transaction was over a thousand euros. But the EU proved that their politicians were every bit as corrupt as any in history. Dutch Rep. Paul Tang tweeted, in today's vote we will not be banning anything. Instead, we oblige verification to prevent crime and corruption through unhosted wallets. Crime and corruption aren't innovation. Need I say any more? So all of that makes the EU this week's biggest fogami matter. Go to Firmoo, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmoo dot dot TV. And now let's mongrelize this week's Idiot. And it's more vaping bogosity from the FDA as they ban sales of Juul e-cigarettes in the U.S. The FDA isn't even supposed to hold this power to begin with. All they were created to be by Congress is a labeling body. They're just supposed to be about what you print on the package. But like with the Espionage Act, give the government an inch and they'll take a metric ton. Yeah, they don't even keep to the same unit! Juul represents about 50% of the e-cigarette market, which is about 6% of U.S. adults or 15 million people. They said, quote, The company must stop selling and distributing these products. In addition, those currently on the U.S. market must be removed or risk enforcement action. The FDA cited product safety grounds as the reason for the ban, but as we've covered, e-cigarettes aren't merely safer than smoking, they are CRAZY safer than smoking! And yet, tobacco cigarettes remain available at your corner gas station. The agency bleated. The FDA determined that the applications lacked sufficient evidence regarding the toxicological profile of the products to demonstrate that marketing of the products will be appropriate for the protection of the public health. In particular, some of the company's study findings raised concerns due to insufficient and conflicting data, including regarding genotoxicity, and potentially harmful chemicals leaching from the company's proprietary e-liquid pods that have not been adequately addressed, and precluded the FDA from completing a full toxicological risk assessment of the products named in the company's application." Even though anyone who's done any amount of research into the subject knows that's a complete load of Biden flops. The White House refused to comment on Biden's involvement in the decision and referred all questions to the FDA even though his daughter Ashley was photographed with a Jewel while walking on a beach with her mother, Jill. The ban comes despite Jewel trying to appease regulators a few years ago by pulling most of their flavor options, which lying regulators said was causing a teen vaping boom. Trump had actually resisted calls to ban or heavily restrict vaping. In a debate in the White House Cabinet Room, Trump, in a moment of uncharacteristic good sense, said, quote, if you don't give it to them, it's going to come here illegally. They could be selling something on a street corner that could be horrible. Meanwhile, the FDA has given full marketing approval to Views, an e-cigarette produced by tobacco giant R.J. Reynolds. Gee, imagine that. So all of that makes the FDA this week's... Idiot Idiot extraordinary. Extraordinary. wraps up this make sure your banker's not a bender edition of the Bogosity podcast i hope you enjoyed it if you did please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion subscribe at patreon or subscribe star and you can listen early and ad free thank you for listening until next time here's a quote from pat condell europe believes in centralized state control society is a project their project It's the mentality that ran the old Soviet Union, and it's the mentality that has driven the European Union forward against the wishes of the European people. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial and Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity.